1: Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on our Facebook page, Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And on Twitter, at Broadway Curtain, or Instagram, at Broadway Curtain Podcast. Um, we are going to be airing right now part three, part three of our interview with the fantastic. He was so good, we had to have him three times. Leroy Reams. It also helps that he gave us martini after martini. This is true. And that that helped a lot with this
0: podcast. (laughs) So anyway, we're on stage after David made the announcement. No one knew what to do. Yeah. And Jerry Orbach, God bless him, turned and said, bring in the curtain. Bring in the curtain. So they brought the curtain in. And as the curtain hit the stage, I had a flashback to a conversation I had with Gower. Because we talked a lot. And he said, you know, during the 70s, Leroy, I thought my career was over. He said that no one wanted to see what I did anymore. And he said, and during that period, I went to the discos. I did the drugs. I wanted to try to get with it. And he said, I just woke up one day and said, why am I doing this? This is not me. I'm an old-fashioned song and dance man. And he said, and when David asked me to do the show, Mm -hmm. I understood it. And even though my doctor said I shouldn't, he said, I did because... I don't want to be remembered as a has-been that's what went through my mind Mm. at that moment Mm -hmm. it was like a light went off so then as we do it's opening night yeah we have an opening night celebrate we've got you know people there we're going to the Waldorf Astoria for a sit-down dinner on opening night are you ready for that the reason being we only had one producer right we had one producer Wow! and uh, of course there were you know celebrities and the company and we had a sit down dinner at the Waldorf Astoria with an orchestra oh it was God. the classiest opening night ever in my life Whoa. it was perfection huh. so when we're all standing on stage everybody were like robots we all ran up to get dressed to go to the party mm-hmm. I walk in at the party who's the first person I see Bob Fosse oh. mm. who comes up to me and says I remember it as if it were today That son of a bitch. He said, that son of a bitch. He said, I filmed my own death. And he had to do me one better by doing it on fucking opening night. Mm -mm. And we laughed so hard. (laughs) And I said, you know, Bobby, Gower, if he's up there, is laughing with us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I said he would be so pleased (laughs) that you said that. And uh, so anyway, and we had our opening night party. It was incredible. I mean, we were all like zombies. Mm-hmm. We were trying to have a good time, but it was what it was. And mm-hmm. of course, the press and everything were just going crazy. And it was interesting that the next day on the news, I was the person selected to go on Channel 4 with Pia Lindstrom oh, to wow. talk about it. I, and I, I'll never understand that. I mean, there was Jerry and Tammy and yeah. All oh, the yeah. people in the company and Wanda and and but I was the one asked to go on the show and talk about it. Yeah. And I have a copy of that. Oh. It was oh, wow. very interesting. Love to see well, that. Well yeah, that you know because I felt so close to Gower yeah. and it was almost a joke that Gower didn't have to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. I knew what he wanted. It yeah. was like we were just so tuned in mm-hmm. that he would look at me, and I knew exactly what he wanted me to do. And like in Dames, when he was putting it together, I said, oh, Leroy, I don't have time to choreograph. You just, you know, when you have to sing, when you find a hole, come through it, and <laughs> hold your hat, and do your cane, and make some poses." That's brilliant. Which and that, uh, but he didn't have to tell me. Yeah. I knew. And you know, when, well. when we laughed when he did uh, Lullaby by a Broadway, because he staged it with all of us. It was mm-hmm. incredible how he did that, and it was perfect. And they said, then we add the principles and he had us all sing that opening thing. Come on along, mm-hmm. and, you know, at that point. Mm-hmm. And we all like audition. me, Carol. The, the, and of course, everybody laughed because once I sang, they knew I was going to be it. <laughs> so we did it, of course. And the thing about, let's call it up. And again, Jerry went, you know, hit it. That's Damn. how that's... Yeah. And that was done in rehearsal because Jerry couldn't hit the note. So he just pointed at me and I hit the note and I got a laugh and Jerry said, leave it in.
1: Brilliant, so, amazing. Yeah.
0: yeah, then those things happen. Yeah. But it became a joke because... And I know that had Gower lived, seriously, had he lived, that I would have at least, if not been in his next show, I would have been one of his assistants. Yeah. Because it was just, we, our minds were Simpatico. just in yeah. sync. Yeah.
1: One of the most uh, iconic images of 42nd Street is you in midair, yeah. over a dime.
0: And I'll tell you how that happened. It was at the photo shoot. And Gower went to the bathroom. <laughs> And I grabbed Martha Swope and I said, I've got a great idea for a shot. I'm going to get on. I said, kids, come out here. Get around. Get in the lines. (laughs) And I said, I'm going to go one, two, three, jump in the air, Martha, and and catch me. She said, I got you. And Gower was peeing in the the bathroom. No way. So that's how we got that shot, yeah. Yeah. I love I set, that. I set that shot up. I love that. Yeah. And
1: it's one of the, it's like it's like the, one most, of the most iconic, iconic shots yeah, yeah. of the whole thing. And I
0: thought when they told me as a surprise, David was going to put me on Times Square in the middle there on that big yeah. billboard. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought that's the shot they would use. Instead, they did one where there were three of us doing a step, which was yeah. not as good. But anyway, <laughs> but David was wonderful to me. And what's interesting, I should talk about money now, because this is David Merrick. David Merrick would set a pay scale and that was it Mm -hmm. when we opened the show 1980 Jerry Orbach and Tammy Grimes made $3,500 a week wow Wow. the next level was Carol Cook and Joe Bova made $1,500 a week Mm -hmm. I made Mm $1,250 Wanda made $750 and David had her under a two year contract with a raise the second year wow and when I found out when I found out that Carol Cook and Joe Bova made more money than I did. Mm-hmm. I had billing above them and worked harder in the show. I was fit to be tied to my agent. Said, "There's nothing we can do." Yeah, no. It's, and when no. the the salary was offered, I wanted more money, and they said, "Leroy, that's it. When David Merrick offers the money, that's it. Either you Whoa. take it or leave it. You don't negotiate with David Merrick." Yeah, no. It's... So uh, I said, "Okay, I'll talk to David." And one day at the theater, I said, "David, I need to talk to you about something. And I find it." Hard to believe that I work harder on the show and have billing above Carol and Joe and they're making more money than I do. He said, well, we can arrange that. So would you like to sign on for a second year? I said, no, because I may not want to stay a second year. <laughs> I said, but David, I signed the contract. I'll honor it. I love the show. It's going to be very good for me. And you won't have a problem with me, but I should be paid more money. And the next week, the you. raise was in my check. And what? he passed by the dress room and said, don't pay your agent. They don't deserve it. And I never really re-signed another contract with David. And he would give me periodic raises when he wanted huh. to. Fascinating. But that was David Merrick. You're right. Yeah, right. He had to be in charge. Yeah, no kidding. So, you know, he was quite something. And, of course, when the thing with Karen Prunzik, you know, uh, she didn't leave the show And they took away her number, and they took her out of dames because David said she wasn't pretty enough to be wearing the clothes. And Gower would not fire her. But then when Wanda got the go-into-your-dance thing, which Mm -hmm. they did, then uh, they had to put Karen back into shove-off because Wanda didn't like doing the number. Mm. So Karen eventually got put back, and then one of the girls quit. And so Karen had to be put back into dames. And, of course, once Gower is dead now, David is escorting Wanda around. But Wanda didn't want to be put in an uncompromising position. And she and Karen were buddies and were living together at that point. So Karen used, I mean, Wanda used to bring Karen along on the dates. And the first thing you know, Karen gets with David. And mean, the I woman was, he deemed too ugly. That's, that's right. right. Yeah. That's right. And I when mean, we were out of, when we were in New York, of course, we would see David's car come up. So I knew that that was Karen who was, you know. Uh And I told her when I said, say hello to David for me, didn't I, Karen? She said, what do you mean? What do you mean? I said, oh, come on, Karen. We all know what's going on. So, and then, of course, then she and Wanda had a little tiff because when Wanda missed shows, David did dock her. And then Karen, of course, said, you know, Wanda's not always sick. So because she, you know, had her. And then when Wanda did get sick, the girl who was the understudy Nancy Sinclair who was hired out of town by David Merrick oh much to Gower's displeasure <laughs> but he couldn't do anything about it and then when Wanda got sick uh, Nancy Sinclair was in California at a child custody battle with her ex-husband, and there was no one to go on. And Karen Prunzik said, I'll go on. I know the part. And I went to David Merrick that night, and I said, I'll tell you what, David, she does know it, because she's watched it. She's smart, and she's a hell of a dancer. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'll go on stage with her tonight, because I think she could do it. Mm. And David didn't let her do it. And they tried to get Nancy back the next day, but they couldn't, and then they put Karen on. And we had a rehearsal that afternoon, and Karen did go on and did the part for a couple performances. They got Nancy Sinclair back. And, of course, you know, David was, you know playing out the publicity on that oh yeah oh of, know, course, like he understood of course he really got to go on and all that and nancy was kind of like a june haver looking girl mm-hmm. blonde and very pretty and she was you know good in the part and so that was going on and then she went back to california because the child custody and david didn't want her to go and uh he was very upset and when, wait a minute, i got the story wrong she actually did that and then when she went back he put karen on I got that confused. That's really what the truth is. I got confused. That's right. And uh, so then David sued her, and she uh, (laughs) was was taken out of Actors Equity for six months. And uh, he did that to Nancy Sinclair. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Wanda was put back. uh, Of course, came back. That's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah, and then uh, Lisa Brown replaced Wanda. Uh But then when they did the uh, Chicago Company. David hired Nancy Sinclair <laughs> after God, having fired her. This guy and, is... And she was out of, you know, actor's equity for six months. And, right, right. You know, all of that. And she was taken to litigation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy Mary and So God, that's how God. the show goes on. Of course, by this time, David was married to Karen Prunzig <laughs> because they had had their little thing and, then, and Karen said, you know, David, I can't have an affair any longer because, uh, you know, so she went back to Pittsburgh and left the show and then David brought her back and married her and they had gone to... Uh, Hawaii on their uh, honeymoon. Yeah. And Steve Bell, who was in the show, his mother lived in in, uh, and saw him there. And he introduced Karen as his wife, and she called Steve, and that's how we found out. And the irony behind the whole thing, the irony. I mean, Wanda, Rich, and Karen, these two young girls, their first Broadway show when being tied up with two legends in the theater, I I and mean, mean. it was wild. And then, uh, when they go to, Cal- to Chicago for the opening of the show, Karen goes there as Mrs. David Merrick and goes to rehearsal, and of course they, Karen goes to rehearsal, and they finally decide to let Karen do her old part for the opening, because what she really wanted to do was play the lead, mm-hmm. but David didn't want her to. <laughs> And so at the opening night party, of course, Nancy Sinclair is the toast of the town and being photographed, and Karen is there as Mrs. Merrick, and her name wasn't in the program by mistake because the other girl's name had been printed. So Karen's father got into a big argument, and David Merrick went back and said, fire her in the part and fire her as my wife, and left. This was in Chicago, so Karen went back to Pittsburgh, and then now we know that David and Karen are separated. Now, this gets very confusing, but... This is the way it goes. So then, David, it's Valentine's Day. Happy I think it Valentine's, Valentine's Day. <laughs> I, think it, I think it was Valentine's Day. Sometimes I get confused. But I think it was Valentine's Day. And David was going to throw a party for us at Elaine's. And we went to Elaine's, and David didn't show up. He had his stroke that night. Oh. uh huh. It was in the hospital. Oh. So then, of course, Karen is called because she's still the legal wife. We're... And David may die. Oh my gosh! So she came back to New York, and of course yeah, he bet can't speak, did. and it's going through all the stuff, you know. And uh, so then David didn't die, but he can't speak. But they then what happened one day? He got money from one of the nurses, got in a wheelchair, wheeled himself out of the hospital. And it was like near Chinatown, from what I was told. And went to a phone booth and called his lawyer and was going, and the phone, and the lawyer knew it was David, but couldn't understand him. And a cop came along and said, picked up the phone and said, This man's in a wheelchair, and I I know who he is. He's David and Mary. They said, Hold And then they got enough out of David that he didn't want to be with Karen, and they took him to Aton, his wife before Karen. To her apartment. And that's where he did his rehabilitation. Because he didn't want to be in the hospital. Then he started on the road back. But he never really of course fully recovered. What happened during that period of course. We hadn't seen David. And on the weekends sometimes I used to go over to uh, Freddie's On mm-hmm. the east side and do my club act. Mm-hmm. Like a late show. Yeah. On the weekends. Yeah. And Aton david's wife because he's now separated from yeah. Karen, and uh, the divorce is going to happen Aton said david keeps seeing your picture in the paper and pointing to it and we think he wants to come and see you because he's been very bad with his therapy and the doctor said it's a good sign that he wants to go out so she said we're going to bring him to see your show but don't have anybody photograph him because mm. he's got a cane and he can't talk and all this and I said, Well, make sure that doesn't happen. So I told him at the club, I said now when David Mary comes, you know, don't anybody take pictures and you know so anyway they said he's here, he's here the night that he came. So I went out to meet him and of course he was going oh, blah, 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 And of course couldn't understand a word he's saying and I'm pretending I do. I said, Thank you, David, uh, lovely to see you and we start walking into the club and he starts leaning forward and pushing Aton and me aside. And finally leans over, he found a penny on the floor. Picked it up, put in his pocket. And I looked at Aton and I said, I think David's feeling better. (laughs) And so he sees the show. And then afterward, I come down to sit with him and tears are streaming down his face and he's patting my hand. And uh, I I shouldn't tell you, you may not want to put this on either, but I'm just telling stories. So uh, as I sat down, he took a program out of his pocket from the show and I said, were you at the show tonight, David? And Etan said, yes, we brought him in for a little bit. We didn't stay long, but you know, we brought him in for a little bit. And David opened up the program, and clear as a bell, he had circled the names. And I'm telling you what he said, you can't put this in, though. Wow. And when all of those contracts, when they ended, they weren't hired again. Wow. That came to fruition. did the show almost eight years. And the only reason I left it was to do La Caja Fault. How how long did you say? Uh, almost eight years doing forty seconds. My and God! Away. And you wow. left to do Lacage yeah, on Broadway. Yeah, I left to do look, Yeah, yeah, to replace on Broadway. But what happened? Um, well, wait. I had an, another story to tell you along the way. Well, anyway, but that's how Lacage came into being because I had auditioned and uh, Arthur Lawrence said, "I'm not saying when. I'm I'm not saying if. I'm saying when you do this show because you are going to do it." Mm-hmm. And uh, so then they offered me the bus and truck, which I didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. But then they offered me the last replacement on Broadway. And by that time, I wanted to do it. Yeah. I, I needed a change. Yeah. Very excited. So I handed him my notice. And David was very upset. But then he wanted uh, to do, then of course, let's get into La Cage. We'll do quickly that. Because, you know, of Jerry. Yeah, sure. Of you know, course. My, my buddy. You got reunited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So and Jerry was so excited. So I go into rehearsal. And of course, one week into rehearsal, they posted the notice. Oh, oh. Shit. So I never got on. Who were you going to but play I opposite? I was with a Broadway company. You know, it was the guy who was the understudy, and I can't think of his name, okay. who had it in his contract because he understudied oh, both good roles. Whichever role came available, he would do. So they had to take him, and I can't remember his name. Oh, that's brilliant, though. Yeah, He's a good brilliant. agent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, but I was with the company. Oh, I was rehearsed, and yeah. they were going to put me on The Last Week at the Palace, mm-hmm. and then we were going to go to Mark Hellinger. Right. And, but... What, because they were building the embassy hotel. That's why they closed. The, they were going to close oh. the show. Because, you know, and go to the Hellinger. Yeah, yeah, and we were going to go to the Hellinger. And that was going to be the big deal. I was going to open up at the Hellinger. There was a big publicity. Beautiful thing. And they had actually posted my picture on the sides of buses. Yeah? Yeah, I was there. <laughs> I was advertised. But then what happened, the, the Black Tuesday happened with the stock market. Mm. And then also the backers were starting to investigate because they weren't seeing enough profit because a lot of people were running their offices off of the gross. So they closed the show. Wow. Mm. So and of course the Mark Hellinger then was leased to a church. and it yeah. still is. Yeah. During that. It was going to cost $200,000 to move the show. The producers were going to pay half, the Nederlanders were going to pay the other half. Wow. But it didn't come to happen. But I was with the Broadway company and was considered the last replacement. Yeah, yeah. Officially. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Sure. And of course, I went on to do the show many, many times oh, after that. Of course. I did it at Paper oh, Mill. Great show. Did a little 10-week, 10th anniversary tour I did. And I played subsequent productions yeah. on a lot of places. And I played with G. Barry. Yeah. I oh, did a you really? Gym. Oh, oh we did nice. A summer tour for uh, you know we did uh, where is it uh, there Westbury and uh, Valley Forge. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah we yeah, did totally. a summer stock tour and so you know I got to play up but uh, and then David wanted to do a black version of Forty um, Second Street. Oh. So I was doing Lacage down in Texas and my agents called because I'm now with William Morris and uh, so they called and said David wants a meeting with you. So I said, Well, where's my airline ticket? They said, On your day off. They said, Oh, you just get the ticket. They'll reimburse you. So I got the ticket. I flew up for a meeting with David. Now, this is when he's not speaking well. You know, we're having a hard time trying to always understand him. So uh, at the meeting, you know, they have the logo now with a black woman and uh, Mm -hmm. the gal who was with Fifth Dimensionist, so as to play Dorothy Brock. Mm -hmm. And who's the wonderful guy who was with Diana Ross at Lady Sings the Blues? Billy D. Williams? That's it. He was going to be. Julian Marsh, uh, Greg oh, Burge nice. was going to do my part. Oh, and yeah. then we're going to discover a new girl to play Peggy Sawyer. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so everything That's was great. set. But I said at the meeting, I said, David, I understand that because of the London production, because David wasn't paying a lot of the original people of their royalties, because he wasn't making enough money in London. But he couldn't close the show because he had a contract with the London producers. But he wasn't paying them. And they weren't going to let him do the black version mm. until he paid their royalties. And I said, David, I I understand you don't have the rights because you haven't paid. Well, he got very mad at the beating, but I was just being honest. And of course, they didn't. You were right. Yeah, you were right. They didn't, and he couldn't do that. And they told. But what happened? They told him he'd have to close the show in New York for eight weeks and then reopen it to make it legal, because you couldn't fire the actors and put in a new company. So he closed it, and that's what he was going to do. But then the creators, you know, wouldn't let him do it because then he wouldn't pay them. He wouldn't pay the royalties back to them. So that was it. Wow. So then he went up and got the black version of OK and did that. Yes, oh, yes. That's right. I always yes, forget about yes, that. So he thought, well, I'll show you. I'll do my own black show. So that's when he brought in OK. Oh, my God! But it was supposed to be the black 42nd yeah, Street. Yeah. And then when I flew back to Texas the next day, they never reimbursed me for my airfare. Of course they didn't. Of course yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, I never of got course not. Of course they we'll got But anyway, listen, David was David. And uh, during that period, you know, I would be invited to things for him, and I got to see him, and although he couldn't speak, well, I, but then he got to a point where he became, you know, dementia set in, and he was operating, and then the end came, and that was it.
1: Between 42nd Street and going into Lacage, there are these two Tony Award broadcasts yes. that yes. you're on, which we love, yes. by the way, 85 and 86, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. that was uh, because of Alexander Cohen, it was terrific.
1: Any memories of that? I did a lot of shows for... Oh, yeah. They're wonderful shows. And I
0: also did uh, another thing called... the you? best of everything for Alex Cohen. Were you one with of the, all night? the stars in it? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we did another thing that was called Parade of Stars. Oh yes, yes, of course. Which was everyone who played the Palace. Yes, oh, yes, that's right. And I right. did uh, uh, Pat Rooney Jr. Oh my! Have your Irish come into the parlor? <laughs> so I did that number, which is on YouTube, by the way. Yes, yeah. And, yeah. I, and then we did Happy Birthday Hollywood mm-hmm. for Alex Cohen, where you know they celebrated the first hundred years of Hollywood, where all the stars were there. Yeah. I can tell you a story, another dirty story you can't put on. Save it for the 11 o'clock. Because <laughs> while we were there, I was in the room with all the stars from MGM, all the ladies. I mean, everybody was Just, there, every star in the world. Lana Turner, yeah. Esther Williams, June Allison, Debbie Reynolds, everybody in the world. And I was in that room with all those ladies. And, of course, because I was dear friends with Ruby Keeler, and one of Ruby's best friends was Alice Faye uh-huh. and, and Dorothy L'Amour. So I'm sitting with them talking, and I'm taking pictures of everybody with my camera. Yeah, yeah. And Alice Faye, with that deep voice, said, Sweetheart, why don't you go over there and get uh, Arlene Dahl, Esther Williams, and Lana Turner and uh, take their pictures. They have very something very much in common. And I said, Oh, what's that? She said, Fernando Lama says, <laughs> <laughs> Which, of course, made me scream. And it was What a class that. photo. Because class. two of them were married to him, and Lana Turner had a big affair with him. So anyway, <laughs> that was that night. And that's uh, the night that uh, Is that, that the one we did with uh, Yeah, with Ann Miller, Shaking the Blues Away mm. oh. I think that's when we did oh, that yeah. night with nice And incredible. Ruby Keeler was terrific She came backstage uh, yeah. when I first met her And I told her the story about You know, my singing I only have eyes for you and I said, I really pictured your face, Miss Keeler And sang to you She said, well, I'm here tonight Sing to me now Oh. So I sang to her backstage, and we became really close friends. Oh, my gosh, friends. that's special. So whenever I went to Palm Springs, I saw her. Whenever she came to New York, we always had date night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We always went out. And one night we went out, she told me she didn't have any tap shoes anymore. She had donated them all to charities because she had had you know, major yeah. stroke. Yeah. And she, you know, the left side was sort of paralyzed. She walked with a cane. But she said, my, my other side could work. I think it was her right side and it was her left side. She said, I can still, you know. And so I called Capizio and had a pair of tap shoes made for because I still had her on file. Oh, how sweet. So the next time we went out on one of our dates, I said, I got a present for you. And she said, now, don't spend your money on me. I don't need anything. You should be saving your money. I said, no, but you need this. And she, she tap. well, she cried and oh, we hugged and kissed. Gosh. She went back to Palm Springs. She called me on the phone, Rancho Mirage, but Palm Springs, I always say. But she went back and she had me singing in the background on the cast album. And she put the telephone down and was tapping with her shoes on, yeah, and and her daughter, and uh, but anyway, that night when she saw the tap shoes, I said, "Ruby, as long as I'm alive, you'll always have your tap shoes." And after she had died, her daughter Kathy told me that when we were cleaning out Mom's closet, it was so sweet. She always kept your tap shoes right there in the middle. That's well, really yeah. special. And uh, she That's was a great really lady. And special. she had called me before she died and said how they wanted to operate because she had cancer. And then she said, "I don't know what to do." She was very religious, very mm. Catholic and i said well ruby at this point in your life if they cut you open and you know it's uh, maybe you just need to talk to god and mm. and she didn't do anything she and then she died shortly thereafter wow. but she was a wonderful one with the most gorgeous aqua blue eyes mm. like turquoise aqua mm-hmm. blue that incredible color she's one of the sweetest dearest women and i know that everybody who was in, no no no, 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 nanette with her were just overwhelmed she always had her dressing room door open she was like the mother to all of them that's right everybody who knew ruby keeler loved her wow she was an incredible woman Mm -hmm. and she told me you know the the dish on uh, al jolson because al jolson couldn't have children and she wanted children and he was very jealous and possessive and she said, "I could never go any place. He would always have me followed." And she said it was just too restricting. And she finally said, "I can't live my life this way." And they adopted a child, because mm-hmm. she went, and the child unfortunately was challenged. Mm-hmm. So, but she took care of him his whole life. He outlived her, by the wow. way. And uh, and then she, of course, had a second marriage and had, you know, and she you know had a happy life and the kids of course had no idea about her being you know this big movie star (laughs) because she just totally played it all down until no no Nanette brought her back certainly did that's incredible and then of course the stroke you know ended all of that but she never let it stop her and she would go on cruises (laughs) she loved to cruise she loved to gamble on the boats she had a terrific life she never let any of that stop her and patricia neal was another one yeah who had the stroke and went on the cruises with us for the theater guild because i did theater guild cruises for 20 years oh wow yeah and it was interesting how all that happened because all the stars that came along my god uh and the first time I went on the cruise, it was due to Julia Prowse, actually. Uh-huh. Oh. Juliet was on the cruise, and Peter Howard, who was the musical director, and I got a call from Marilyn Langner, who said, you know, I'm Marilyn Langner. I said, well, I know who you are, Marilyn. She said, well, we don't know you. Philip and I, and all of our friends tell us all the time, and all the stars say, you should have Leroy Reams on these cruises. And she said, so Larry Kurt is dead, so you can take his place. Oh I swear to God. That's exactly the way it was, sick. Oh so Larry Kerr had to die before I got to go on a cruise.
1: Oh, my God.
0: So I go on the cruise, and we get out in the middle of the ocean. And so they read my resume, and I performed, and they liked me. And she said, I see here that you're a director, too. I said, Yes. I can direct. She said, How would you like to go on our next cruise and be a star and a director? And that way we can free up a cabin that we can sell so that I can have two positions on one cabin. That's how one. I became the director. So for 20 years. That's when I was free, when I was working, I, I couldn't do it. But when I was free, I always did the cruises for Brilliant. the Theatre Guild and worked Well, I mean, Zoe Caldwell, Rosemary Harris, yeah. Patricia Neal, Helen Hayes. Come on, my God! Hello, and good stories on Helen Hayes. When uh, we went out, and Helen Hayes saw my show, and she asked if she could come to another show, Mm -hmm. and of course I said Helen never does that. Mm -mm. You should be so flattered that. So we would talk, you know, and became friendly and uh then on one of our cruises with Helen she hadn't performed and the reason she stopped performing a lot was because she had allergies to dust in the theaters yes. and so she couldn't she was allergic to it which is interesting of all people to be allergic in a theater yeah <laughs> Helen Hayes irony. but anyway she uh a- two stories on Helen when uh she said, you know, I feel so guilty, I haven't done anything on the cruise. She said, I'll do my Queen Victoria speech from Victoria Regina, you know, She said, but I can't remember it all, I'll write it down. So she wrote it down and that night we had heavy seas. So they were all very nervous about her getting up and we had everything set at the podium and I had her handwritten speech there. And so I said, well, she wants to do it, and I'll take care of her. I'll make sure she gets to the podium. And I said, you know, Helen, you have to be very careful you don't fall tonight because the seas are rocky, and I'll escort you out, and then I'll get you to the podium. You hold Mm -hmm. on, and we've got the light on, and everything's there. She said, fine, dear. So and I said, ladies and gentlemen, the first lady of the American theater, Helen Hayes, I went to get her. She just pushed me aside, walked out made a bow to the center of the Caesar Rock and walked over to the podium, put her hand on did the speech without even looking at the paper. So after the speech, of course, I said, Helen, do you want this back? She said, no, darling, throw that away. I said, do you mind if I have it? And would you autograph it to me? She said, oh, I don't want you to have that. That's in my handwriting. And I said, no, no, Helen, I'll treasure it. She said, as well you should. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, and because I respect you, yeah. I will autograph it to ah. you. And I didn't want it to get creased, so I stuck it in one of my books. I can't find it. You don't know? <laughs> I oh, can't really? find it. I got back and put everything away. I thought, oh, I'll remember that. Yeah. I've forgotten where I put it. It's in a book somewhere. It's in, in a book someplace. Oh, My book that I Incredible. had, you know, because I always, we'd get tour books mm-hmm. on all the yeah. places we went. And, you know, and I put it away and I can't find it. I don't know where it is. Can't find it anyway. And another thing was during this period Helen said when we get back because you know they're at the, the hospital she's associated with that was the the wing of the AIDS wing mm-hmm. that they named after her. Mm-hmm. And she said when we get back on uh, land she said would you come down and go with me into the wards cuz those guys would probably love to see you. Mm. And that's when you know it was all no one knew how you get it and it was very yeah. scary. And I said, if you go, Helen, I'll go. Mm-hmm. So I went down with her and we walked into the wards and I can tell you, you talking about pulling yourself together, you saw all of these beautiful young men in beds looking like cadavers, cadavers. Yeah. I mean, you you couldn't believe it. That's it cool. was, I just took my breath away. Yeah. And I sat on the beds and talked with them and, you know, camped up and, you know, all that yeah. stuff because most of them are gay men. Yeah. And I'll never forget it. But Helen Hayes was there. That this was. little lady, she was gallant. She just walked in and, you know, they named the wing after her. Wow. She was Amazing. an incredible woman. I remember one night we were on deck and the moon was huge. And I said... Oh, Helen, look at that moon tonight. And I said, And you look so beautiful because, you know, she'd never had any facial surgery. And she was this incredible looking woman with those blue eyes and, you know, that Irish temperament. And she said, Oh, thank you. So she said, But, you know, if I ever had to do it over again, I would have had something done here. And she was (laughs) pulling out her eyes. And we laughed so hard. She was an incredible (gasps) woman. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, and she told me a very funny story. She said, one night that Maureen Stapleton, she was in Sardis with some lady friends from Pasadena. And she said, we're having it. And Maureen was you know, drinking and came over to the table and looked at Helen. I said, oh, Helen, God, I love you, Helen. I love you so much. If you were a man, I'd fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> she told me that story one night. I loved it so much. Classic. <laughs> <Yeah>. Always classic. <laughs> Always. The,
1: going back a little bit, Beauty and the Beast, hmm. was it hard... I mean, you you were so lucky because everything you've worked on, you've worked with these amazing, brilliant people. Where you got to, you got to originate so many roles, and then Beauty and the Beast, you're you're pretty much going in and you're replacing. What is what is that like? Well, it's
0: similar to I've replaced twice, and it was for Gary Beach both times, which is interesting because (laughs) you never think of Gary and me being similar, but. Obviously. Yeah. And Beauty and the Beast was obviously a big hit, and it was a a paying job, and it was a brilliant show, and very well done. And so I thought it would be fun to do, but replacing in two shows, given my choice, I would never replace again. Uh Because when you replace in a show, basically you come in the original people are not there you're not creating it all they want you to do is just do what the person did before and you're plugged in yes. and uh it, it's not a happy experience it has nothing to do with the show it's just that's the position you're in and i know when i was watching this show i was with the sound man one night in the audience and a lady came by at intermission and she said she thought i was the sound man and she <laughs> said we are really enjoying the show i said thank you dear she said it's almost as good as the shows we have in branson <laughs> I'll never forget it Oh, I bet they are, uh, I remember, honey I bet I they are one night when I saw this show This was when uh, the original guy Oh, Terrence Mann Terrence Mann, God bless him Terrific So Terrence Mann And I remember when he makes the transition And he yes. becomes the prince at the end And the kids scream around, and I was, Mommy, he's still ugly <gasps> oh. <laughs> Those are my two moments from Beauty and the Beast I laughed my ass off and Terry Mann is terrific. Oh, it's so, you know, good, though. When he did Cats, I didn't know Terry. And the kids in the company, of course, when I was in the audience, they pointed me out, obviously. And he came over when they ran over their chairs and rubbed his face and got makeup all over me. So, I mean, <laughs> it was really funny. He's a great guy. Talented. So, yeah, Amazing. very talented. And you know, works very hard at really doing theater, and yeah, he and his wife that company and stuff there. But anyway, that was uh, and of course, with uh, during rehearsal, of course, you know, the stage manager saying, "Now on this line, you uh, flip the switch and the gas starts. On this line, you press the button and it lights up, and you put your hand down on this line." And it was all so technical, and I and and I'm not rehearsing with actors. I'm in a room with a stage manager, so I was having a really hard time, and I finally said, "You know." I'm never going to learn this because it's so hard without the people here. And I did have one day where some of the understudies came in. But the day I was put in the show, I had never rehearsed with uh, Sarah Uriarty Mm -hmm. uh, or uh, Jeff McCarthy Mm -hmm. because they didn't come in because they were busy doing the show. and They didn't want to come in. So Mm -hmm. I was, you know, so I said, just put me on. The show's been running over a year. You know, a lot of kids in the audience, I'll, I'll find my way. Just put me on. And I was very good. I said, I'll I'll make mistakes, but at least I'll get up and learn how to push the lever and hit the button and light the thing. And, Mm -hmm. of course, you know, thinking of that, drives are crazy. And, of course, you can't work in it during rehearsal because of the fire laws. And they don't keep it in your dressing room. You have to go out. There has to be a stagehand with you. And it's very complicated. So I thought that night, I'm I'm cool. I'll handle this. I've been on, and it was at the Palace Theater. Again, I love the Palace. I, you know, did play that Theater four times, yeah. so I'm ready to go up and do my thing. And I thought I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm cool. I'm not under any pressure. There are no critics out there. And as I'm going up the step, one the kids said, "Holy oh, Roy, that's an exciting! Barbara Streisand's in the audience tonight." So of course I'm coming down on the staircase, and I look, around, and there she is, like the sixth row on the aisle. You couldn't miss her. I don't know what I did that night. <laughs> I really don't. I know I came off once. I said, "Leroy, you're on, you're on." I tried to go back on stage, and they grabbed. me They said, "No, your hands." I was still lit. <laughs> I didn't turn off the fire. Oh, it was, I tell on. you. Literally and of course, that night I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, "Leroy, you're 52 years old and you have a fucking candle on your head." <laughs> who knew Who knew at this point. so it was not one of my it was not one of my uh, oh, creative man. moments doing that show, but I eventually found my way and of course the director, who was not there at all no. and when he came to see the show said, well I I just have written down here, sexy, 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 sexy. Be more sexy. I said, isn't that interesting because you're stage manager. One day I did something. He said, Leroy, you can't do that. This is a Disney show. I said, so you need to talk to your stage manager if you want to be sexy, sexy, sexy. I said, so you know you need to get with your stage manager and teach him what you want to have happen because you've never been here. Amazing. You know, and eventually I found my way and I made some good friends. Of course. Good Jeff McCarthy you. was terrific. Sarah, I adored uh Stacy Logan, or, you know Maroutish, yes, oh we my all God, became yeah. you know good friends. I love yeah. the actors, yeah. and the show was meticulously kept. Mm, it was Disney, oh <laughs> my God, Disney. it was just you, and of course, uh, Eisner came to see the show mm-hmm. and was very unhappy that I didn't uh, that I wasn't Gary Beach and didn't <laughs> think that my French accent was you know, so they had me go to uh, someone at uh, Juilliard. oh. So, and I was very angry, but I went, and I went in and I read, and she said, I don't know why you're here, you have a, a beautiful French accent. I said, I know, what they want me to do was sound like Maurice Chevalier, right. like, haw, 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 <laughs> and do all that, which I refuse to do, it's my character. So she said, well, I don't know what to say, I said, just say what you said, write it down. And she wrote down that Leroy Reims has a, a legitimate, beautiful French accent. <laughs> Got your so, note your from your teacher. I, took back yeah, and I said, Here, yeah. give this to Michael Eisner and tell him to shove it up his yeah. ass. That if he wants a French accent, that's what I do. If he wants someone to do a cheap Maurice Chevalier impression, then have him hire an actor who does that. Brilliant. Good so good for obviously, you. I was only there for a year. <laughs> And that was the end of my Disney experience. Hey, that's we done. We all have had yeah. one of those. <laughs> and then so, off to what, what the producers?
1: Yeah. And yeah. the
0: producers, it was the you know the national tour, mm-hmm. and uh, I wasn't quite prepared for the first day of rehearsal because I had just finished doing uh, Peter Pan down at the Muni playing uh-huh. Captain Hook, and I can't do two things at once. I can't do a show at night and then memorize things in the sure. day. Yeah, I, I my mind is not. I can I'm not that, that good. So I decided not to face that until I went into rehearsal. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't prepared because when I got in, Lewis and and uh, 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 Don Stevenson had all been, been already been oh, ready. Yeah. Caught up. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people were off book, and Angie Schwar, of course, had done it, and uh, so you know everybody. And I was the one that was reading the script. Right. So I was at a disadvantage, and it was hard mm-hmm. because again. The stage manager, uh, Susan, was there most of the time, but not really. Right. It was the stage manager yeah. putting you in, so it put you at a essentially great disadvantage. Blocking it, and know. I had my own way of, you know, yeah. And uh, I'll never forget uh, Steve Swagbaum, who was the stage manager, said, "Now, Leroy, when you make your entrance, you know, you're very insecure about how you look because, uh, you know, Carmen made the dress, and you love." I said i don't believe any of that shit. this is roger debris he's rich his family got him out of town because he's this big fairy and he hires all these people that live with him that he pays for everything they tell him he's gorgeous every day that's just his way of getting attention (laughs) and he comes on to all these men because he thinks he's gorgeous and he sees Leo and he come he thinks Leo is going to love him and he's vamping him and all of this because that's what he does that's what makes it funny that's why Leo responds the way that this man comes out dressed up as a woman yeah and i said so he's that's not it at all he just plays you know being petulant you know that's what yeah. he does that's i don't think that at all so i had a really hard time oh yeah and uh so you know eventually when they left me alone, I found it when we were out of town as we all did. Yes, but every actor was having the same problem I was because they were wanting us to do what the person who did it before. That's the, yeah. And they were very strict on everything. I mm-hmm. know that that we did a little thing in, in the, uh, the Hitler number, where everything was tanks were coming on, parachutes were coming in, and they were worried about me going, "World War II, and looking for a war here's World War II." And I came over the night and the guy said, Leroy, we can't really see you going World with War With your fingers. II? I said, because it's very fast. I go, World War II. You couldn't tell. what I I said, so I'll work on it that night. Of course, I went out and I said, if you're looking for a Jew, here's World War II. Because <gasps> I was thinking about my hands. <laughs> so, you know, I'm famous for doing shit like that. But anyway, we eventually found it. And of course, Good. then when uh, I did this show with uh, uh, Marty Short and Jason oh, yeah. Alexander oh, yeah. and yeah. Marty... It's too creative to do anything the same way twice. So he goes out every night ready to party. And I'm ready for that. I'm I'm ready there to play with him. I can improvise. And I liked him. And so I could make my tits come out of my dress if I would pull in my stomach. Mm -mm. And -mm. I can make it so. And Marty would get bored in the scenes if he didn't have a lot to do. So whenever you get bored, I just shoot him you know, my tits. So I got a lot of notes on that. But I said, well, you know what it is? That's funny, because a man in a dress is funny. So if you see hairy legs, that's funny. If mm-hmm. you see a hairy chest, mm-hmm. that's funny. That he's a man in a woman's dress. Yes. That's what makes it so ridiculous. And Mel Brooks agreed, by mm-hmm. the way. Or mm-hmm. By the way, mm-hmm. But, you know, that's not the way it was done originally. Totally. So you go through all that crap. Well, the night that I showed my tits and... You know, Marty loved it, and I got the notes because there was always a person who took notes and gave you cards, and that was Susan's way of doing it. So I took the cards, and I said, okay, guys, you like to play? Here's the note I got, and they went up to the stage, and they said, this is our show, and he's funny, and we like what he does, and that's it. So no more notes. Wow, And nice. they had a hard time in, in L.A. Because Marty I and that. Jason. Got they want to play. Very, they got yeah. very strong. They said, This is not. This is our show now. And if you don't like what we do, fire us. Mm -hmm. But we're going to do our show. And that's not always the way when you replace. No, it's yeah, yeah, it's more about hitting
1: the marks that the person behind you. That's right. And speaking of a man in a dress, (laughs) you were the first man to play Dolly Levi. Is that correct? Yes. How did this come about?
0: Well, after having, I'll tell you, working in Lacage and putting in all that stuff. I mean, it sounded like great fun at the beginning, but then when you face the reality mm-hmm. and all you put all that stuff, and I remember the first night when I was ready to go on and I had on the tits and the corset and the, and the, t- the tights and then the pantyhose over that and uh-huh. the robe and the, all that shit on, plus all the makeup and stuff. I thought I feel like a center for the Green Bay Packers. I've got so much <laughs> stuff on and the high heels and all of that. But you adjust to it, but it's a lot of stuff you got to get into. And uh, not that I want to dress up as a woman, it's not that at all, it's the part. Mm. Yeah, and it's playing a good part, and I love Hello Dolly. Oh, yeah, and that character is so great. And Carol is a comic genius, and it will always be Carol Channing, she's the originator. But being so close to the show and loving it so much, I wanted the experience of playing that character. Yeah, and I can't play Cornelius anymore, so I really wanted the experience of doing that. And then open the door because I think actors it's fun to see people play sexes yeah you know it, why not it, it, yeah. the importance of being earnest and all yes! that it, yes yeah. it, it's famous that you know and women should be able to dress up like men if a woman wants to play Professor Higgins, then let her do it totally. It's fun for the audience, and in Shakespeare's day, it was only men anyway, yeah. they played all the women's roles, so it's just opening the door and relaxing people and 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 having the pleasure of doing it and having fun for the audience. That's why I wanted to do it I love and it. uh so it you know it it was a great experience and uh and Louis Stadlin is one of my buddies. Yeah. And we had a blast playing the show every night, doing those scenes together. Oh, yeah. And the audience had a good time with us. And I never thought of... I would never... play it with a wink in my eye like hey I'm a man dressed up as a woman and uh-huh. doing it. I played the part I got dressed up and I was Dolly Levi and those speeches were so wonderful to do I, I bet. got tears in my eyes every night because the piece is so good and and I you know loved Jerry and it was a privilege to do his material and Mike Stewart who wrote a brilliant book totally. and to be able to those were my buddies and my friends and I wanted to honor them and give the way the show was originally conceived and done with Gower's original yeah. direction
1: yep did Jerry get to see it
0: no no he didn't he didn't come up to see it and he was
1: okay I mean obviously he must have approved
0: Oh yeah yeah because I all- knew I was going to be honest yeah I wasn't going to you know play it as a as a takeoff or a, no
1: you know did you direct it as well yeah, as, yeah. How it was do you easier ba-
0: really yeah it was easier because i knew it so well the only problem was during the tech yeah. because i couldn't be able to watch but norb jurter came down to help out technically and randy slavagico choreographed Good. they were out front so they could watch things i wish i could be both places but i couldn't of so course i had of course. to concentrate on what i was doing
1: Ah, oh, do you hope to do it again sometime? Uh,
0: I would, but I don't know whether anyone would be brave enough to to you know do it again. Well, you oh, can always someone's... replace
1: <laughs> Bette Midler next year. I, so I would love
0: <laughs> I would love to be her standby. <laughs> yeah, amen. Because I think it would take a man to stand by for <laughs> uh, Bette Midler. Oh my God! Yeah, True. I mean, listen, are you kidding? I'd love it. As a matter of fact, we did the last uh, tour that I you know directed, and when yeah. I played Cornelius, I thought about being Carol's standby. On that three month tour, but Poor I didn't enough. want to go to rehearsal. I wanted to, <laughs> I, that's true. And number two, you'll never go on because Carol's never out. No. So. And then Monica Wimmett, who was the uh, played in was a lovely, lovely guy. I thought, let her do it because she'll learn and she'll get a chance to play it someday, which Later. she has. That's great. And I loved her. Yeah. And then, of course, my God, Carol got sick, one, missed a whole weekend. And I thought about going on and I couldn't do it to Monica. So I let Monica go on. <laughs> that was my chance to have done it. Because what a great gimmick to walk on and say, "Ladies and gentlemen, Carol Channing never misses a show." Yeah. Unfortunately, she's sick. She does not have an understudy. I'm the director, and I'm going to have to do the show tonight. So if you just, it. you know, and then do it. Would it. have been great. I mean, it would have been a great gimmick, right? <laughs> it would have been hysterical. Yeah, totally. But uh, not to be. Oh man. Well, that would year. that would work yeah. for yeah. that Midler too. By the way. Yeah. Right. You know. Get Jerry's axe, Jerry's axe. That's right, honey. Listen, they're all too. When people do it, they want to do it their way, and that's the way it is. Truth, you can't tell anybody what to do. And they, I hope they want Dolly to come out in a purple dress. She'll come out in a purple dress. (laughs) I want mine to be red, but you know that's the way people are. They want to change it. Now, if Jerry has anything to say so in it, it will be. But you know, again, when they did the film, she was in gold.
1: Oh yeah, so we just watched we, we it the were, other day. Actually, just confession. And, yeah,
0: Streisand is the greatest talent of my generation. Yeah, she's. It's impossible for her to ever be bad. It's true. It just wasn't good casting. Yeah, no. Okay. It's, it, it's, it's. She you know. she made it work for what she does, but it, it's. It wasn't the Hello Dolly. I know, and mm-hmm. also with the exception of you know a couple people, the rest of it wasn't that well cast either. Yeah, no. No, and, no, you know, no. they dubbed the gal playing Irene Molloy. That's right. So why? And you know, I had never heard of her before or since. So, you know, Anne Margaret tested for it originally, you know. Uh, she would have been great. Yeah, yeah. Well, not my idea, but, you know, there are certainly a lot of women capable of doing it.
1: Of Irene Molloy, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: And, well... and Michael Crawford as yes, Cornelius was, I don't know what that was.
1: <laughs> it's an I'm awkward, really... it is an awkward <laughs> film. I don't know what, the, oh. From start to finish moments, And then also but yes. a lot
0: of Michael Kidd's choreography, I mean, people were rolling around on concrete sidewalks doing somersaults and rolling down hills in the grass. What does that mean? You're in you know, and you're in Victorian dress and you're rolling down the hill on the grass. What is oh, my gosh. That? oh my gosh. And that thing, you know, the waiters gallop with all the acrobatics and the, the gimmicks oh yeah. and you go, Oh my god. It's a it's a showpiece, that's Just for sure.
1: It is something.
0: Before we go, I want to just ask you really quickly
1: about, you've got a a, a show you do, a one-man show. Yeah. Probably a couple. Um, do, Do you have any plans in the future? Anywhere we can see it coming up?
0: Oh uh, well, if you want to come down to the Crest Theater, hey, and uh, Delray Beach, do you, you do to... you do mostly Jerry Herman in your? In your no, act? Uh, you, I do some Jerry Herman, yeah, but I, I talk about Julia Prowse, my beginnings, and, Great. and then I go and I do you know Dolly, yeah, and I, I do a little bit of Forty Second Street. Mm. And, uh, I don't do all the shows, right? But I do you know the major things that are more identifiable yeah. for the audience. Well, I want to and, see it. Yeah. Me too. I, I want to see it. And a that. lot of the stories I've told you, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, go into my act. I love that. Turn on the lights. I'll do it no matter where I am. Yeah. <laughs> that's showbiz. It's a wonderful line of applause. As says, stand back at eight o'clock, I do the show no matter where I am. <laughs> <laughs> because it's true, and that's... you get so. And and because I did the Broadway for so long, around five o'clock, I still get that. Yep. Time to get ready. To get ready. To do the show. I still have that feeling. Mm. You know, oh, yeah. I never lose that. And I. there was never a time, seriously, and I mean this honestly, with all the shows I've done, there has never been a time where I go, I am so tired today. How am I going to get through this show? Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, this is so boring. I'm doing the same thing. Because people said to me, how could you do 42nd Street? Eight shows a week for almost eight years. How could you do that? Well, because the audience is different every night. And also, there's a pride about being a Broadway actor. And I've never, ever not walked into a Broadway theater with that feeling of energy and excitement and just can't wait to get on the stage. I cannot be anywhere in a high school and i walk out on a stage i have that feeling yep it's being in the amphitheatres of europe standing on a stage and looking out it's that feeling yeah. it's where i belong yeah it's where i'm at home and where i'm most comfortable i can't explain it to you but it's been that way my entire life yeah, yeah. you just yeah. that's that's what i do yeah. and and I, I did one film with you know Fossey during a Sweet Charity. That was a trip, but that's all technical. Yeah, you have to. It's all for the camera, and you mm. set up, and it's also so time-consuming that you, you have to that, that, stop in between and then get your energy up to do it. You're yes. not in control. Where and the theater, the curtain Audience. goes up, and it's yours. And there's no stopping. Like and his, nobody yeah. can cut you or say no and make you do it again. You're in control. That's why yeah. actors love the, the live yeah. theater nothing better yeah. than that the well, movies and television can't do I did a lot of television yeah. and a lot of television was live but you basically are there performing for the camera mm. it's, a, it's a whole different right. thing it's a privilege and an honor to do in life what you do naturally and it pays you money I think that's the yes. secret of having a good life finding something you enjoy doing having. Yeah not a job but a career. And you still worked your butt off to get yeah, there. Yeah, and you know? I would, you know, I'm I'm limited now because of my age and we have to grow into what we do, but you know, ever given the chance, I'm you know, I'm ready to do whatever is required just to be a part of it. I love and that. also the the people, the creative people that you get to work with and watching all this talent and mm-hmm. You know, it's like anything in life. It has its ups and its downs. But as far as I'm concerned, it's mostly been ups. I like that. And to have also worked with people you dreamed about working with when you sat in your living room with your, you know, your show albums, listening to the music and saying, Oh, God, if only I could be on Broadway one day. And, you know, my first Broadway show that I saw was Carnival. And I ended up working with Jerry Orbach. see? Turned out to be a terrific guy. Dreams do come I mean, true. To, to have that in your life to been a kid in high school and watching carol channing throw out a bracelet and then years later you're working with her being you know one of lauren Bacall's best friends i mean you that's what you live for in your life i i feel frustrated in the fact that what i did was sort of out of fashion Mm. because i should have been born in the mgm period well that's true that would have been my period i would have been at mgm singing and dancing in the movies that would have been it, but I was born too late. Yeah. But at least during the time I did get a chance to do it. I mean, you go through the list of these people, my God. And I was there with them, Gower Champion, Mel Brooks, Yeah. that you're there working with those people. And it, it's, it's funny that you don't think of them as being real people because they're so iconic until you work with them, right. and then suddenly you have to realize they're real like the rest That's of right. us. But I've never lost that reverence. Or, or the love of it, and I, the great respect for the people who do it. And I wish that there was some way I could continue. And I don't think that I was ever used to my fullest potential uh-huh. during my career. Uh-huh. I got used to a degree. Uh-huh. And 42nd Street, obviously, the singing and the dancing, but and the actor I got to do with La Cage and Dolly mm-hmm. and things like that, but never at the beginning or created and done but at least i've had the experience of doing it oh yeah and, but then you have to think that maybe it's not over till the fat lady sing maybe that thing that's going to use me to the fullest is yet to be done so you just hope that it could come out yeah. someday they're going to ring the phone and that's you're right. right for something that's going to finally take advantage of what you can give back Join us next week where we interview Rodgers and Hammerstein organization's Ted Chapin.
1: Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor, and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast will go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists. What they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening?